Well, good morning, Grace people. It's Pastor Darren here, and I'm sorry I can't be with you personally on worship this Sunday morning. Uh, my family got struck with COVID. Uh, it's the second time for me, but the first time for my wife and for my oldest son, Jared. Uh, that leaves Ethan as the only one who hasn't gotten it, and uh, so we're praying that he doesn't come down with it either. But uh, so instead of being there with you in person, I'm bringing my message to you uh, virtually via video this morning. Uh, but before I begin my message, uh, I want to just say a couple of words about something pretty extraordinary that's been happening out in Asbury University in Kentucky. Uh, some of you may have heard about it. It's been called uh, the Asbury Revival or the Asbury Renewal. Um, it's uh, an extraordinary outpouring of God's presence. Uh, for over two weeks, students have been meeting in the chapel on the campus of the University of Asbury. And uh, as they have been meeting there continuously for over 400 hours, they have been worshiping, they have been repenting, they have been calling out to God, and God's presence has been remarkable in that place. Now, as is typical, these kinds of things happen from time to time. God does show up sovereignly and decide to meet with his people. And uh, in his holiness, he brings them often to places of repentance and uh, renewal and a hope and desire for growing closer and closer to Jesus. Um, what often happens, however, though, is that people who are not a part of it, or maybe people who are skeptical or have seen things like this before, uh, start to do one of three things. One thing that they often do is they ignore it. Uh, they pretend like it's not really happening. Uh, and just try to kind of move on like, oh, that's not really important to me or doesn't really have any significance. A second thing that they sometimes do is that they attack it, claiming that, well, no, this really isn't a move of God. It's something manufactured by people. Um, it's uh, just uh, some over-exuberant teenagers doing what teenagers do. Um, or a third approach is that people try to mimic it. They look at it and they say, well, gee, why don't I just whip up the same thing and have it happen in my church or in my community uh, and uh, just repeat it? Um, and all of these are wrong approaches to a move of God. Uh, the correct approach for us is to simply humbly receive it and observe it. God is God. Let God be God. And as he does this move in Asbury, my hope is that it is something that God will spread out from that university campus to campuses all across the United States and perhaps all around the world, bringing a renewed sense of God's holiness of his love, of his grace, and his mercy to another whole generation of people. Because God knows, as you and I know, how much we need this. So with that, let's get ready for our message today. Well, today we're continuing our Route 66 journey, which has us in the Gospel of John. And as I mentioned in a previous sermon, the Gospel of John is often referred to as the Book of Signs. There are seven signs, as a matter of fact, miraculous signs, within the Gospel of John that point to Jesus, that help us to understand who Jesus is, and more importantly, point to belief in Jesus. That is the purpose of this book, as John himself states in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, where it says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So there are seven signs. And what are these seven signs that point to Jesus in John's gospel? Well, the first one is turning water into wine. We talked about that. That's from John chapter 2. Then there's the healing of the royal official's son in John chapter 4. Then the healing of the man at the pool in John chapter 5. The feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. 
Then also in John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. Pretty miraculous sign for sure. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we heard about the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9. Well, if you've been keeping track, that's six signs. And that means there's only one more to go. And this seventh sign is the most important sign of them all. And that leads us to our scripture passage today. It's a long one, but it's a good one and a good story for us to hear. So I'm going to be reading the whole story from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Please follow along in your Bibles if you would like as I read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. <clears throat> the story of Lazarus is such a powerful story on so many human levels. First, we're introduced to this family, Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha, who were obviously very dear to Jesus. Jesus loved them, and they were loved by him. He spent a significant amount of time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus in their home in Bethany. So they were known to each other. And when the news came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and dying, well, there was an expectation. An expectation that, of course, he would drop whatever he was doing to get to be with this family in Bethany to bring healing to Lazarus. And so it's confusing when Jesus doesn't immediately drop everything that he's doing and make his way there, but instead speaks in this kind of cryptic way about wanting the glory of God to be revealed instead. So by the time Jesus does get to Bethany, it's been four days since Lazarus has died. And when he meets Martha and when he meets Mary, they both ask the same question, which is such a human question to ask, and one that I think anybody who has been associated with tragedy or with loss in their own life is quick to ask. Jesus, if you had only been here, Lazarus would have lived. Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. You could fill in the blank with all kinds of stories from our own lives. Jesus, if you had only been here, my mother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you had only been here, that tragic accident wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you had only been here, that terrible diagnosis wouldn't have come my way. Those are such human questions that both Mary and Martha are asking of Jesus. And it points to something that's very significant about this story, this story that we talk about as the story of Lazarus and the story of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And it's a point that we need to understand if we're really to understand the significance of this story. And that's this. This story isn't a story about Lazarus. And it's not a story about Mary or Martha either. This story is about Jesus. 
And we need to remember this anytime we approach Scripture. It's so easy for us as human beings to read these stories and to immediately put ourselves into the story and to think, well, this story is about me. But the truth is, these stories are not about us. These stories are about Jesus. And they are for us. And that's what makes all the difference. You see, if we come down to that human level of looking at this story and asking those unanswerable questions, they're why questions that we ask of God. God, why weren't you here? God, why didn't you intervene? God, why didn't you rescue my brother or my sister or my mother or my father? God, why didn't you intervene in that tragedy? God, why did you let this happen? All real, true human questions. But Jesus doesn't step in to answer those questions. Instead, Jesus responds to those questions with a question of his own, which is, do you believe in who I am? And who is Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. This story reminds me of a recent occurrence in a, a life of somebody who I consider a family member to us. It's the life of uh, the Fevers, Kyle and Laura Fever and their family. If you're not familiar with Kyle and Laura, Kyle uh, and Laura were both here for a period of time at CGLC. Now they've gone on and are pastoring down in a congregation in Iowa, and their oldest daughter, Jaya, who is a senior in high school, was in a terrible car accident back in December. A car accident that left her in a coma, left her in a state where people were wondering whether or not she would survive, with a traumatic brain injury and all kinds of other injuries to her body. And since that day, Kyle and Laura have been walking through this journey with their daughter, and they've been journaling about it on a website to let people know about what this journey has been like. And the insights that Kyle has brought from this journey are powerful insights into the lives of any parents or family who have gone through a similar kind of tragedy. And I want to read a portion to you from something that Kyle wrote just a few days ago on his website. These are Kyle's words. He said, Dear friends, imagine three doors. Behind door one, you get to go through the hellish experience of pain and tragedy. It will mess you up. It will mess up your life. Your life will be completely altered. You are not sure if you will emerge. And when you do, you're not sure how much. What will be different? and how it will affect your life moving ahead. This door will lead you through pain. It will lead you through gut-wrenching heartache that you've never known before and cannot describe. It will keep you awake at night. It will destroy your ability to function. It will destroy your Americanized sense of comfort and happiness. Behind door two is a normal life. Nothing really changes when you go through this door. Life goes on. You experience the same common struggles of daily living, the same frustrations, the same joys and sorrows. You might be challenged and stretched, but generally life remains comfortable. Everything is manageable and generally okay. Then there's door three. Through this door, 
you experience love and comfort that defies imagination. You experience a sense of peace of God that transcends human comprehension. You come to greater clarity about life. Your love for humanity deepens, as does your love for those close to you. You experience the most wonderful beauty of God through the compassion and love of others. You feel love in a way that you had heard about, but did not know was real by experience. You realize in a way you never have before that God is real. Your eyes are opened to a completely new dimension of human existence, and you are forever changed. This door can only be accessed by going through door number one. That's the experience of tragedy for us as human beings. And that's the voice of faith, of looking towards a God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, into our reality. And it changes the question. It changes the question, an unanswerable question that we ask all the time of God, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen if you had only been here? Instead, it changes it to a question of hope and anticipation, a question that says, Jesus, what did you come to do? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what will you do? And the answers to those questions are the questions that Jesus presents back to us when he says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, there can be no resurrection without death. And every one of us is going to die. As we come into this experience of Lent just after Ash Wednesday, that's a poignant message that strikes us right from the very beginning. Every one of us is frail and human and bound to die a physical death. But the question is, will that physical death also be a spiritual death that will separate us from God? And the answer is that in Christ Jesus, there is a hope and a life and a resurrection that goes beyond this life, but also encompasses this life. If we trust in Jesus, the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, and when we point to this story, which is titled the story of Lazarus, but it's truly the story of Jesus, Jesus who lives out this truth of resurrection life by bringing Lazarus back from the dead, the ultimate sign of Jesus' power over death. This is the message we need to hear. A message that rings in our own lives, that says no matter what happens in this life, no matter how painful the journey may be, there is a God who comes to us in Jesus and says to us, do you believe in me? Do you trust in me that I am the resurrection and the life? Trust in me. Believe in me. May that resurrection life come to you today and come to me today as we trust in the one to whom all signs point, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today in our human frailty, we confess that in this life, 
we face our own mortality, we see and experience tragedy, we encounter people along the journey who have suffered and who continue to suffer, and it is all too human for us to ask why. And from that place of why, Lord, it makes total sense that we would look to you and say, Lord, why didn't you do something about it? And Father, it's in that place that we come to you today humbly and say, Lord, we believe that you have come. We believe that you continue to come into our lives today, bringing resurrection and life. And that no matter when or how death comes to claim us, as it certainly will for every one of us in this mortal life, Lord, you come to claim us by your resurrection into eternal life. And that that claiming of our lives begins today. It begins in a trust in you and a hope that death does not have the final word. Lord, help us to see the sign of life that you give to us. And to look forward from this day on to the promises that you offer to us in your word. Thank you, Jesus, that this word comes to us because you are for us. And if you are for us, who could be against us? Help us, Lord, now to live into this resurrection life that you have promised us. And we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.